Well, today we find ourselves in the middle of beginning. Yeah, we're in week four of our series, Beginning, where we're talking about an important truth that everyone at some point in life finds themselves at a beginning or at a new beginning. And this is really important for us to talk about right now because many of us find ourselves at a beginning right now, either because the world got put on pause and we're finding ourselves starting over after the world got put on pause, or because of other events of life like marriage and having babies and starting college and starting school and starting having your kids start kindergarten, having your kids start middle school, start high school, that wherever we find ourselves, chances are at some point right now or at some point in the near future, you will find yourselves at a beginning. And so we're looking at stories of the beginning, the beginning of human faith, the beginning of human history, the beginning of human interaction with God and connection with God to learn some important truths about what God expects for us at the beginning and how the beginning can and how the beginning should work. And so here's what we've looked at just to kind of give a really quick summary of where we've been so far. The first week we looked at the creation story and we looked about how God created everything and we said that God created everything and it was all good, that everything God does is good, that God created everything good, and God still does everything good, and God does everything for our good. Then the second week, we looked at what happened to that goodness and to that good, perfect creation, that humanity chose sin, and sin broke, and sin breaks everything. It broke everything then, and it still breaks everything when we choose it today, that that's what sin does, and that's what sin would do until God put in place a plan to reverse the curse of sin. That no longer, because of Jesus, no longer does everything have to break and have to die. We can choose something better. We can choose to trust in Jesus and trust in God's goodness. And then last week, we looked at the story of Noah and how God, after generation, after generation, after generation of sin and sin and breaking and breaking and breaking, that God did something to begin again with humanity. That God gave humanity a new beginning with Noah. That God, with the flood, wiped everything out and began again with the family of Noah. So today we're going to pick it up moving forward a couple generations. In fact, we're going to pick it up in the ninth generation after Noah, after the flood. So this is hundreds of years into the future, hundreds of years into the future of human history after the flood, after Noah came out of the ark. This is a hundreds and hundreds of years in the future. This is the ninth generation after, after Noah. And here's, and here's, there's two, two words that I really want us to kind of focus in on today as, 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 and keep in the back of our minds as we, be, as we look to the story that we're going to read today. And the two words are calling and promise. Calling and promise. Calling and promise. These are two words that are incredibly connected in the narrative that we're going to read today. And as I think about life and as, as I look to scripture, what I'm finding over and over again is these two words and these two concepts, these two ideas are incredibly intertwined throughout our life and throughout scripture and throughout our relationship with God. That God has a plan for your life and God has a plan for my life. And God has wonderful promises that he has made for you and that he's made for me. And we do not get one without the other. So we're going to pick it up today in Genesis chapter 11. We're going to read through a big chunk of, of, of scripture today. We're going to jump around a little bit. We're going, to, we're going to skip over big chunks. This is the story starting with the family of a man named Terah. In Genesis 11 verse 26, it says this, Terah lived 70 years and fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife. And they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. Now, 
you might wonder why we're talking about Tara. You've not heard a whole lot of Bible stories about Tara. You didn't grow up in Sunday school learning about Tara. Here's why we're talking about Tara. We're not ultimately talking about Tara. We're talking about Tara's son, Abram. And Abram's story, as you might have might guess, is a story of going to the land that God called him to. But interestingly, his story begins by telling us that his dad meant to set out for the land of Canaan, which is interestingly where God calls Abram to go. But on the way to go to where he was supposed to go, on the way to, to go to this new land that would change his family's destiny and change his family's history and establish a new life and a new career and a new business and new everything for his family, he decided to settle somewhere else, to settle somewhere short. He was trying to get there, but he settled here. And this is important for us to understand. This is a big truth. Your new beginning may start where someone else settled. This is, this is a big deal. That Abram's story begins where his dad settled, begins where his family settled, begins where his family fell short of going where they were supposed to go, begins where his dad was going somewhere else, but stopped here. That's where Abram's story begins. And this is important for us to understand. Your new beginning, it might just start where someone else settled. For some of us, it could be that there was an influential leader in your life and they were influential and they had a voice in your life and they were supposed to accomplish big things and they had a big calling on their life, but something in their life caused them to stop short or, to, or kept them from fulfilling their calling and their failure to fulfill, to fulfill their calling, it devastated you. It rocked you. Maybe it rocked your family. For some of you, it was a family thing. Your, your parents, you grew up with your parents telling you that they wanted better than what they had in their family, that they, that they wanted better for you and better for their relationship with you, better for the family relationship than what they experienced growing up. And you know that things were better than what they grew up with, but you know they weren't what, what they were ultimately hoping for and wishing for and dreaming and praying for, that they got here, but they didn't get there. And I just want to make sure that as we talk about this today, it's important to know that God may call you where you are to pick up their work and to push it forward, that where they settled, you don't, that where they got as far as they could go, you pick it up and you push it farther, further, that where they didn't live up to their calling, you strengthen yourself and you strengthen your relationship with God so that you can start fresh and you don't settle or compromise like they did, that your beginning might start where someone else settled and your beginning may just be fulfilling someone else's calling. Genesis 12 then picks up here. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram, it says, was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and all the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan. Now here's what's true about Abram. Abram had accomplished and achieved a lot where they were. Abram and his family had wealth. It tells us they had accumulated possessions and accumulated people. Had people in their, in their possession, people in their service. This means they had wealth. They had accumulated stuff. They had money. They had influence. They had relationships. This is what Abram had there. This is what Abraham there. These guys had businesses. They had wealth. They had reputation. And God called Abram to leave all of that. Here's what I know. Abram had lived with certainty and the safety that it seemed to bring. 
Now, Abram had a call. And this is important for us to pay attention to. There is a tension between our certainty and God's call. There is a tension between our certainty and God's call. Abram had certainty that God would be with him and would bless him, but he had no certainty of what that would look like or if the wealth and the reputation and the influence and the business would ever be the same. In the land that he was, Abram had certainty of wealth, certainty of reputation, certainty that he already was a pretty good man. But God didn't call Abraham to be a good man. God called Abram to be a great man who would be a blessing to the entire world. And here's what we, what we find out from, from Abram. He could not hold on to his certainty and follow God's call at the same time. And the same thing is true for you. See, here's the rub. We crave certainty because certainty feels safe. I crave certainty and you crave certainty because certainty feels safe. See, I like comfort because comfort feels safe. I like the certainty of a schedule and predictability because that certainty feels safe. And for some of us, if we're honesty, if we're honest, certainty can become a little bit of a modern day idol. I think for many of us it has. Certainty becomes a modern day idol where even if we wouldn't say it, even if we wouldn't say it, say it that way, certainty can become an idol for us. See, here's how you know if something is an idol. If you would choose that thing over following God himself, that thing is an idol. And many of us hold on to our certainty instead of following God's call. And when we realize that we can't hold on to both at the same time, we choose certainty over following where God is calling. Because at the end of the day, we think that certainty is safer than the risk of following God's call. And if I could, I just want to say something here about that. Choosing certainty over following God is the most dangerous decision that you can ever make. Choosing certainty over following God's call is the most dangerous decision that you can ever make. The most dangerous choice that you can make is to be somewhere other than following God's plan and God's will for your life. You think, no, 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 this is familiar. This feels safe. Look, you can be comfortable and dying on the inside. You could be comfortable and dying on the inside. Life can be very familiar and still be crumbling and falling apart around you. There is nothing safe when you choose to follow certainty and embrace certainty over following God's plan. The only place there's any real safety is wherever God leads. That's why this is so important to understand. The safest place that you could ever be is in the center of God's plan for you. The safest place that you could ever be, the safest place that you could ever be is in the center of God's plan for you and for your life and for your marriage and for your parenting and for your career and for your everything. The safest place that you could be, the safest place that I could be is in the center of God's plan. Look, it's, it's, it's why when I was 24 and God called me from Wisconsin and Minnesota to, the, to, to New Mexico, to the land of enchantment or the land of entrapment, which might just be true because I moved here almost 13 years ago and I'm still here. I haven't left. But when God called me 1,400 miles away from where I grew up and 1,270 miles from where I was living at the time, I mean, it, was, it, it seemed crazy to a lot of people around me, and a lot of people asked if I was support raising because I was moving to Mexico, because, you know, education's great. But, like, they, I mean, like, I, I followed. I followed where God was calling. I mean, literally, I moved to, I, I made, like, Will Smith, and I moved to the wild, wild west, y'all, and it was the safest place that I could possibly be. It's why when God called us to plant movement, we left the certainty and comfort and familiarity of our life in Alamogordo, and we planted a church at 32 years old as the, as the senior pastors without kids. I mean, we weren't ready. 
We weren't, we weren't prepared. I mean, there, there, there was very little certainty, and I, mean, I would say no certainty, that Movement Church would really become a reality and would actually work. There was no certainty, but we felt absolutely confident that since God called us, God would go with us, and it was the safest place that we could possibly be. We knew that despite uncertainty, following God's plan was the safest way to go, the safest place that we could possibly be. And so I would just say to you today, wherever God is calling you, follow him. It's safe even when it's uncertain. It's safe even when it's uncertain. Story picks up in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 14. It tells us this, after Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, look from the, the place you are, look north and south, east and west, for I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up and walk around the land through its length and width, for I will give it to you. Then in Genesis 15, God makes another promise, similar promise to Abram. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. In other words, God, you've given me enough already. Please stop making more and more and more promises. You've got to give me someone to pass this on to, or this is all for naught as far as my family is concerned. You've got to give me a son. And so God says this in verse four. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you were able to count them, then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. And then we're told this in verse six, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteous. Now, these are gigantic promises. You'll have so many offspring, it'll be like the sand on the, on the earth, that if you, that you, just like, like the, the way you can't count the dust and you can't count the, the individual particles of sand on the earth, that's how many offspring you're going to have. And, 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 and look up at, at the stars, and if you could count the stars, that's how many offspring you're going to have, Abram. And while Abram is looking at that and going, well, okay, God, that's wonderful, but in order to get there, we at least need a first one. We need, we need, we need one. I, I thank you for talking about the future and all the offspring that I'm going to have. But to get to all of those guys, we need at least one to start. So, so God's making these gigantic promises, and God is making these almost unrealistic, nearly impossible promises. Like last we knew, Abraham was 75 years old, but these conversations are happening somewhere between the time that he's 75 and 85 years old. This is God making a promise to a man who most of us would think shouldn't be thinking anymore about having a child, shouldn't be thinking about having children. Most of us would think that at that point in life, it's impossible to have, for them to have kids. For him, who's somewhere between 75 and 85, meaning his wife was somewhere between 65 and 75, we would think it's almost irresponsible for them to still be thinking about having kids. But here's what, here's what I know from this story. Faith is believing God will keep his promises when he doesn't fulfill them fast. Faith is believing that God will keep his promises when he doesn't fulfill them fast. Abraham's biggest act of faith is to consistently believe and act as if God will do everything that he said he's going to do 
For years and years and years, for years and years and years, Abram believes that God can and will do everything that God has said he can and will do. And he consistently trusts and follows God, believing that God is capable of everything that he said, even when it's not happening yet for him. When it doesn't happen year one, and it doesn't happen year two, and it doesn't happen year seven, and it doesn't happen year nine, Abram is still acting in faith that God can and will do everything that he's promised. That's what faith is, right? See, faith is required for the moments that you don't see the fruit of your faithfulness or your obedience. That when you haven't seen it yet and when you haven't felt it yet, and it doesn't seem like God's lived up to his promises yet, yet isn't the end of the story. Faith believes that even if God hasn't, he still can. Faith believes that God can and will do everything that he has promised, even when we haven't seen it yet. Genesis 16 then picks up here. Abram's wife, Sarai, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. If you're, if you're a guy, if you're a married, like, you know this is a bad idea. Right from the jump, right from the get-go, Abram should have just raised his hand and said, no, we're not, we're not, we're not going to do that. This sounds like a terrible, terrible, horrible, very bad, no good can come from this idea. And here's what we're told about Abraham. And Abram agreed to what Sarai had said. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. And this sparked unreal family issues. This was a bad idea from the start. This wasn't a God idea. This was a mankind idea. This was a wife trying to help meet her husband's need for, for an heir, for someone to live, live on, for some, someone to pass things on to. But this was a bad idea. This wasn't God's idea from the beginning. And here's something that's important. This is, this is the kind of one dark moment here in, in the middle of Abram's story. See, someday you will be tempted to meet a legitimate end by an illegitimate means. Someday you will be tempted to fulfill God's promises for him. For Abram and Sarai, their temptation was to meet a supernatural promise through their natural effort, to fast forward the process and jump ahead of God's timing and God's plan, to assume that God hasn't done his thing yet. Maybe we need to figure out something on our own. And here's why this is so important for us as we talk about the beginning, as we talk about a new beginning. At the beginning, nothing happens as fast as you think it should. Nothing happens as fast as you think. I mean, fill in this blank however you want to fill in this blank. Blank should be happening by now. Surely we should be making more money by now. Surely college should, should have gotten easier by now. Surely raising toddlers should have gotten easier by now. Surely our relationship with our parents that we've been trying to fix is now. Surely the family that's broken, it, it should have come back together by now. And, and here's the thing. So much of what you and I desire, it's, it's, it's legitimate and see, your desire for companionship is legitimate. Your desire for obedient, well-behaved children is legitimate. Your desire to provide for your family is legitimate. Your desire for sexual intimacy is legitimate. Your desire to achieve good grades in your classes is legitimate. But every single one of us knows that there are ways that we can approach and try to meet those legitimate needs that serve to undermine the need itself and actually hurt us in the long run, that they're illegitimate means to, to, to fulfilling a legitimate end. See, you can get obedient, well-behaved children by spending 
spanking your kids every time they do wrong, but you may do more harm than good if the only tool in your parenting toolbox is spanking. You can try to provide for your family in illegal ways and end up with your family fearing a cartel. You can try to get good grades by copying work and end up compromising what you actually learn. You can experience sexual gratification by porn in a moment, and it undermines your ability to experience sexual intimacy maybe for a lifetime. And when you feel those temptations, it's normal. It's part of the human experience. It was the experience for Abram, a righteous, holy man. It was the experience for Sarai, his wife, who was a good and godly woman. It will be part of your life. The temptation to meet a legitimate end through illegitimate means. It's part of life. But when that happens, pause and call it what it is. And while you're paused, make the decision that you will not shortcut God's process by meeting a legitimate end by an illegitimate means, that you're not going to jump ahead of God's timing, that you're not going to shortcut the process and get ahead of where God wants you to be and in the long run hurt yourself and hurt someone else around you. Story then picks up in Genesis 17. When Abraham was 90 years old, 99 years old, 13 more years later after what we just read, The Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty, live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down and God spoke with him. As for me, here's my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and I will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. As for your wife, Sarai, do not call her Sarai for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her indeed. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples come from her. Now just imagine you're Abram and God is talking to you about this and God's told you that you're gonna change your name and change what people call you. This is like, you know, Andy in the office showing up back to the office and being like, hey guys, it's Drew now. You're like, nah, you're still Abram. You know, so like, so Abram is now changing his name to Abraham, but he's also gotta go to his wife and be like, hey babe, I just wanted to let you know your name's not Sarai anymore. It's Sarah. And, 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 and his wife, I would imagine, is like, okay, Abram, look, if after 90 years, if this is your way of telling me that you've never really liked my name, what a weird low blow for you to take. And he's like, no, 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 this is God. Like, God told me this. Like, and she's like, mm, thinking you're just being mean. And so, so he's got to go back and tell his wife, hey, by the way, your name is changing. But there's good news. God is going to give us a baby through you. But then God, is in, this, in, in the conversation with God, Abram, Abram slash Abraham says this. Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abram said to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. In verse 19, God said, no, no, no. Your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. Here's some good news. After the story that we just read, after the dark portion of, of, of Abram and Hagar and Ishmael, after, after, after this moment where there was a failure temptation, it's really good for us to understand that our failure doesn't forfeit God's faithfulness. Our, faithful, our, our failure doesn't forfeit God's faithfulness. Abram failed. Abram fell to temptation. 
Abram tried to get ahead of God and fulfill God's promises on his own. And the way so many of us tend to think about God, it seems like that would disqualify Abram from receiving the promises of God, that his failure should cancel out God's faithfulness. And the good news, the good news, the good news is that God is good. See, this is, again, this is the underlying thing of everything that we're talking about here. God is good. And God's faithfulness is not determined by whether or not we fail or whether we stay perfect. God's faithfulness is determined by the fact that God is faithful, that God is good, that no matter what you've done and no matter what I've done, no matter where you've been and no matter where I've been, no matter who you've been and no matter who I've been, God doesn't change based on my ability to be faithful. God's faithfulness is not conditional on my faithfulness. Thank God. God is good. God is faithful. And God's faithfulness is not canceled out by my failure or your failure. God is good. He's generous regardless. He saves regardless. He's good regardless. He's faithful regardless of your behavior and my behavior. He is good. He is faithful. He still keeps his promises. In Genesis 21, we're told this, the Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Did what he had promised. Did what he had promised a year ago. Did what he had promised 25 years ago. Did what he had promised 20 years ago. Did what he had kept promising all along. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham sacrificed him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh and everyone who hears this will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. Who would have said it? Well, God said it. God kept saying it. God never stopped saying it. Who would have, who would have believed it? I mean, almost no one. But who would have lived as if God was actually capable of keeping his promises? Abram and Sarai. For a long time, kept living as if God was faithful and if God was capable of keeping his promises. In Romans chapter 4, Paul talks about it this way. He says this, he believed, talking about Abraham, he believed hoping against hope so that he became the father of many nations. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already be dead and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced. This is so beautiful. He was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. He was able to do because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. That's a question that we should all look in the mirror and ask ourselves. Are we fully convinced that what God has promised us, he is able and willing to do? See, and through their descendants, the whole world really has been blessed. God didn't just keep that one promise. God has kept the whole promise. Through their descendants, the whole world has been blessed because Abraham and Sarah bore Isaac and Isaac fathered Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons who became known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And from Israel came Joseph, who we'll look at next week. And from the nation of Israel, even in captivity, came Moses and came Joshua. And out of Israel came the judges and came Eli and came Samuel and came David and came Solomon and came Elijah and came Elisha and came Isaiah and came Jeremiah and came Daniel and came Nehemiah. All the heroes of the faith of the Old Testament, all of these heroes came from this one man. And then after years and years of waiting for God to fulfill his ultimate promise, God sent Jesus through the line of Abraham, through the nation of Israel, through the line of David. God sent Jesus, the Savior of 
the world. And all of the us and all of all the people who believe in Jesus are descendants of the faith that Abraham ultimately displayed. Not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. And so here's the thing. There's two things to know at the beginning, two things to know when you're just setting out, two things to remember in the middle, two things to remember when you feel like life isn't going fast enough, two things when, when, you're, when you're setting out and trying to figure out what God's course for you. There's two things that I want you to remember. Number one, God has a plan for your life and you don't want to miss it. And number two, God always keeps his promises. Number one, God has a plan for your life and you do not want to miss it. And number two, God always keeps his promises. Let me talk about that first one. God has a call for you and God God has a call for every life. God has a call for you. God has a call for every life. And I think most of us, we kind of understand that there are some general things that we're all called to. You're called to love your neighbor. You're called to serve the world around you. You're called to love God. You're called to serve people around you. You're called to be involved in a local church. You're called to serve the world by serving your neighbors, by serving uh, around the world. Like, like you're, we're, we're all called to some certain things. But we also know that there are some things that you are called to that no one else is called to, that God has a specific call and a specific plan for you. God has a specific plan for you, and you do not want to want to miss it. See, not everyone is called to be a pastor, but chances are someone watching this, you're called to be a pastor. Not everyone is called to dedicate their life to fighting injustices in the world, but you just might be. Not everyone is called to lifetime missions work, but some of you might be. Some of you might be. Some of you watching right now might just be called to lifetime missions. Not everyone is called to your workplace, but you are. Not everyone is called to your neighborhood, but you are. Not everyone is called to your family, but you are. See, God has a plan for your life, and I want to just let you know, you do not want to miss it. You don't want to miss it for anything. You don't want to miss it for comfort. You don't want to miss it for safety. You don't want to miss it for financial security. You don't want to miss it for anything. As someone who almost missed it, because as a young adult, I tried to fight God about my calling because I didn't particularly like what I felt like God's call was on my life, as someone who almost missed it because he was trying to fight God's call, you do not want to miss it. I am so glad that I didn't give, that God didn't give up on me when I fought his call. I'm so glad that I eventually followed his call because it's been worth any and every sacrifice that I thought I was making. The only sacrifice I almost made was missing God's Call, and I'm so glad that I decided to follow. So here's the thing. Discover what that is. Discover God's call on your life. Don't miss it. Listen for the voice of God and that calls and follow where he leads. And then the second thing is this, that God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. But here's the thing. I talked about how these things are intertwined, that when God calls, he also makes some promises. That God calls, he makes some promises. And so there's, a, there's many things in scripture that God promises over and over and over and over and over again. That as you follow his call, these things will be true and he will stay faithful to who he is. And so I just today, I want to talk about two things really, really, really fast. Two promises of God. See, God says over and over and in scripture, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. God will be with you. God will be with you. Wherever you go, God will be with you. When you find yourself when you find yourself in bed, God is there with you. When you find yourself at work, God is at your workplace with you. When you find yourself with your family, God is there with you, with your family. God will be with you. You are never alone. You have the wonderful creator of the universe with you. His presence goes with you. His presence goes before you. His presence goes behind you. His presence is with you right 
now and his presence will be with you tomorrow when you are tempted to feel all alone and like you have to do it all by yourself. He will be with you. And the second thing that Jesus promised over and over again was that God hears your prayers. That God hears your prayers. That not only is God with you, but you can have a relationship with him. You can have a conversation with him. You can call out to him. You can call out to him desperate and he hears your prayers. You can call out to him lonely and he'll remind you of his presence. You can call out to him in need and he will remind you that he is the God who is able to meet your need, that God hears your prayers, that you can call out to God and say, God, thank you so much for everything that you are and everything that you have done for me. I just want to let you know that I'm grateful and God will be there to hear that prayer as well. You can call out to God on your best days. You can call out to God on your worst days. You can call out to God on your blah, blah, blah middle days. And God will always hear your prayers because he's a good God. He's a faithful God. And your failure doesn't cancel out God's faithfulness. He's God. He's good. He's faithful. And he always keeps his promises. And he always will because that's who he is. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, today I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the story of Abraham, Abram slash Abraham. Thank you for this example of what faith looks like. God, I think for many of us, we set out with, with the kind of faith that Abram had at the beginning, trusting that you're good, trusting that you're faithful. And then somewhere along the way, we lose it when we find the moments that Abram found where it doesn't happen as fast as we wanted it to happen, where it doesn't happen as quickly and you're not answering the prayers and you're not keeping your promises as quickly as we would like. But God, I pray that in these moments, we would have the strength that Abram displayed for most of his life, the faith that Abram displayed for most of his life, that we would trust you even when it's not happening yet, that we would never doubt who you are. We would never doubt what you can do. We would never doubt that you are able to do everything that you've promised and that you'll be everything that you say you are. So God, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your calling. Thank you that you have a plan for my life. Thank you that you have a plan for our lives. Thank you that you have a call and that you have a plan. And I pray that every one of us, we would be paying attention because we don't want to miss it for anything. We don't want to miss it for certainty. We don't want to miss it for safety. We don't want to miss it for anything. We want to hear where you're leading and we want to follow. And God, thank you for your promises that we can know that you are with us and that you hear us. So God, help us to know that. Help us to know where this lands for every single one of us. Help us to follow you wherever you might lead from, here, from this point forward. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.